Welcome to Safe Dividend Investings, podcast number 108 on March 23rd of 2023. Today, I'll be answering three questions received in the last week. For more insights into how to choose stocks that will provide you with both a reliable, ever-growing income and constant growth in your portfolio, visit www.saferbetterdividendinvesting.com. Question number one. Are Canadian banks a safer investment than U.S. banks? According to the November 2022 issue of the magazine Global Finance, published by Global Finance Media of New York, the top six safest banks in North America were all Canadian. The seventh safest bank was a U.S. bank called Bank, with a Moody's score of seven and total assets of $142 billion. By comparison, the Royal Bank of Canada that was the safest bank in North America, had a Moody's score of 9 and total assets of $1,445,000,000,000. The top three Canadian banks all had total assets over a trillion dollars. The lowest of the six Canadian banks was $151 billion in assets. The magazine also reported that the Royal Bank had moved from the 20th safest to the 11th safest of the world's 50th safest banks. They cited that the Moody's upgrade was based on a strong trade record of earning stability founded on a diversified business mix. Interestingly, the 10 banks in the world that were safer than the Royal Bank were in Germany, Switzerland, the Netherlands, Norway, Sweden, and France. The next four largest safe Canadian banks, in descending order by total assets, all traded on the New York Stock Exchange and the Toronto Stock Exchange, were the Toronto Dominion Bank, the Bank of Nova Scotia, the Bank of Montreal, and the Canadian Imperial Bank of Commerce. These are large banks with employees in many countries. The Royal Bank of Canada has 97,000 employees. The TD Bank and the Bank of Nova Scotia each have 90,000 employees. 85% of all Canadian deposits are held in the big six Canadian banks. 81% of all Canadian mortgages are held by these six banks, plus they hold 62% of the total assets held by financial institutions. It is the size and diversity of Canadian banks that make them so strong. These banks each have more than a thousand branches spread across Canada from Atlantic to the Pacific. 
if one region of Canada is suffering from economic or climatic setbacks, gains in the other regions offset the negative regional impact. No one industry dominates the revenue stream, like technology stocks dominated the failed Silicon Valley Bank. Canadian banks have fewer customers in the riskier industries of technology, oil, and gas. They rely on retail deposits rather than commercial deposits. With a low exposure to fixed income securities, they are recognized for their stable funding, conservative risk liquidity management, and strong capital buffers. While their capital has been hit by a loss of $57 billion due to the recent bank failures in the United States and Switzerland, they are seen as being easily able to manage it. It is possible for any bank to have a run. This is a situation where bank customers withdraw funds that exceed what cash the bank has available to meet their demands. However, such an event is seen as being very unlikely for the big six Canadian banks. They have solid liquidity and funding strength with a long history of matching assets to liabilities and hedging interest rates. In the United States, there are 4,700 banks in the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation. However, in Canada, there are only 85 banks in the Canadian Deposit and Insurance Corporation. The small number of banks combined with vast majority of assets in just six of the largest banks limits the possibility of a bank run in Canada. Canadian banking rules require the banks to have on hand an amount greater than 100% of their estimated cash flow draw in a 30-day period. Typically, they keep between 122% and 151% in cash. A large U.S. bank like J.P. Morgan would keep about 112% in cash. A small state-chartered bank like Silicon Valley Bank would not have had to meet this higher requirement. It appears that Silicon Valley Bank, a smaller bank with 8,500 employees, was a victim of its own success. They had attracted the deposits of the billions of dollars that had been raised by venture capital firms for newly established speculative technology companies. Their deposits had skyrocketed from $50 billion in 2018 to $200 billion at the beginning of 2022. In order for a bank to make money from deposits, it must either lend money out at a higher rate than they pay depositors' interest, or they must invest that money in assets that generate a higher return than they pay in interest. 
In 2018, interest rates were at a historic low. Silicon Valley Bank had to find some way to make a profit out of their mountain of deposits. To lend it out takes time and expertise to sort out good credit risks. It is much cheaper, easier, and faster to buy bonds. This ties up billions of dollars for a set length of time while the bank has paid interest. Supposedly, if the bank ever required cash, they could easily sell these bonds that they were being paid interest on. The Silicon Bank's troubles began when the U.S. Central Bank raised interest rates to slow down inflation. This caused two problems. New deposits were greatly reduced, and with increased interest charges, the technology companies began to withdraw the capital they had deposited. This was done to avoid the high borrowing costs they now faced. Unfortunately, Silicon Valley Bank, due to the low interest rates at the time they received the flood of deposits, had invested much of that money in 10-year bonds. This seemed smart at the time because 10-year bonds paid a higher return than they could have got in the one-year or the three-year bonds at a time when interest rates were at rock bottom. They had gambled that interest rates would remain low. When forced to cash their bonds before their 10-year maturity date, they found that investors were not interested in 10-year bonds. Interest rates were now much higher. Their 10-year bonds now had low, undesirable interest rates. The only way they could generate cash was to sell the bonds at a big discount on the value that they would have received when the bonds were settled after the 10 years. These now discounted bonds were unable to generate enough cash to pay the panicked depositors. With the run in the bank, it failed and ceased operations. Depositors will now be paid out of a special fund managed by the U.S. federal government. Investors holding shares in in Silicon Valley Bank are expected to lose their total investment. In Canada's tightly regulated, more conservative, stronger, more diversified customer base, such a scenario is very unlikely to ever occur with a Canadian bank. Question number two. Are dividend payments predictable? In a portfolio of 20 financially strong stocks, paying high dividends that increase for 10 years, you can determine that most will continue to pay their increasing high dividends. The increasing high dividends will more than offset the few who deviate from their historical path and do not increase their dividends. In the reference book, New York Stock Exchange's 106 Best High Dividends, 
stocks analyzed and scored each stock's historical share price and dividend payout going back to 1999 are detailed. You can easily see stocks who continue to increase dividends even during the market crashes of 2000, 2008, and 2020. The executives of such financially strong companies take great pride in maintaining a consistent dividend yield percent. This requires them to pay ever-increasing dividend payouts to keep the dividend yield percent in tandem with their rising share prices. Dividends result from the logical revenue and expense decisions made by the company's executives. These executives, as human beings, are creatures of habit. They're focused on exceeding last year's sales and profit objectives, which influence speculators but do not control speculators. The primary purpose of a company is to make a profit, not to increase share prices. Without profits, companies go out of business. Optimistic speculators who think share prices will increase buy stocks from pessimistic speculators who think share prices are going to decrease. Millions of such guesses are taking place every day. This makes it impossible to accurately predict future share prices. No one is setting share prices. It is the auction bidding process in the stock market that sets the price and makes accurate price forecasting unpredictable. With dividends, executives in the company make the decision as to what the dividend payout will be. So while the odds are high that you'd be right in stating that a specific financially strong company will raise its dividend payout higher, it is much, much safer to take advantage of diversity and predict that in this portfolio of 20 high dividend stocks that the total portfolio will increase its dividend payouts. Question number three. Will the stock market soon crash? Will the stock market crash again? Yes. Sooner or later, we will go through another stock market crash. They occur about every four to five years. My life savings are invested in stocks. Does the impending stock market crash worry me? No. Why not? Because I have very carefully invested in financially strong stocks paying high dividends. I live off those dividends. What happens to those dividends in a market crash? Almost nothing. Yes, the share prices of these stocks may decline significantly, but the dividends do not. How is this possible? Because share prices are controlled by the trading of shares 
between optimistic and pessimistic speculators on that great auction platform called the stock market. To sell a stock, a pessimist must lower the price it offers low enough to entice an optimist to buy. When the lowering of share prices offered for stocks predominates, this is a market crash. What speculators cause is divorce from dividends. Dividends come from profits. Profits come from the revenue and expense decisions made by the managers of a company. The managers of a company are employed to make a profit for the company. Without a profit, the company fails and the managers lose their job and their income. They have no control over share prices. At best, their profits may influence optimists to pay more for the shares they are buying from pessimists. These shares are not being bought from the company. The company long ago sold those shares on the open market to raise development money. If a company's sales start to decline, a company will choose to either spend more money to increase marketing efforts, or they will reduce expenses through layoffs and other cuts. They'll do whatever is necessary to achieve their profit objectives. Reaching their profit objectives means the dividends continue to be paid. In the reference book, New York Stock Exchange's 106 Best High Dividend Stocks, it is interesting to note in each stock's 23-year-by-year report on share prices and dividend payouts how so many stocks maintained their dividend payouts through 2000, 2008, and 2020 market crashes. With such stocks, an investor relaxes, live off their dividends as they always have, and wait for share prices to again climb out of the dip and again rise to new record highs. With new record share prices, the dividend payouts are increased to maintain their steady dividend yield percent and keep the investor ahead of inflation. Thanks for listening. If you wish more information on investing and stock scoring, please visit my website, www.saferbetterdividendinvesting.com.